Hi, and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and I'm joined by Rebecca Thomas and Nick Carding. The podcast this week has a mental health and care quality focus. Firstly, we'll be talking about an investigation done by Rebecca, in which she spoke to families who have raised multiple concerns about an inpatient hospital for children and young people years before it was rated inadequate by the CQC. We'll be hearing more from Rebecca about this story and how it taps into a much bigger issue of mental health care quality in the NHS. We'll also be shining the spotlight on the South West, specifically children's autism care in Devon. Nick has been reporting on this this week. Um, but first, um, we'll, we'll start with you, Rebecca. So um, you published a uh, really interesting investigation on Huntercombe, um, which, as I said, is a is a children's uh, mental health inpatient hospital. Um, I think it would be good to just set the scene for listeners. Um, what is what is Huntercombe and um, when was the um, when were the concerns about its care first flagged to you? Yes, so Huntercombe is a um, independent um, provider of uh, inpatient mental health uh, services, um, largely kind of specialist, which most most of the uh, independently uh, run units are. So um, uh, um, largely specialist uh, units, and the uh, in February, uh, the one of their units uh, in Maidenhead was rated inadequate by the CQC Uh, and it was following that story uh, where um, a a family uh, reached out to me um, because they'd actually been raising concerns about this very unit um, for um, 18 months to two two years before the CQC report came out. Um, and I mean, it was it was a it was a it was it was a terrible CQC report, and they highlighted concerns, particularly around the uses of restraint, um, and and um, and uh, the over medication of children. And so, a family re- reached out to me, and then as these things do when you're doing an investigation, get in contact with another family and another family. Uh, there was this. Uh, there was a repeated theme across all of across all of the families I spoke with and their and their and their children of um, the same care concerns being repeated and uh, that which eventually which eventually arose in the CQC report a couple of months ago. Um, but these were people who had um, experience had been in the unit since. Well, across 2016, 17, 2018, 2019. So there were, there were. I mean, there was enough, enough evidence to show that these concerns existed within the unit. At least uh, these, this poor, the, the experience of poor care for a uh, few, quite a few years before this bad, CQ, bad CQC report. And um, prior to this, the unit was actually rated good. Um, mm. And when I say, I mean, when I say care concerns, I, the, 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 that sounds a bit dull, but I'll just I'll read one of the quotes. Um, uh, the most poignant being, they didn't treat me like a human. Um, mm. And these were, I mean, these were largely young women I've spoken with. Um, and do you get the image of seven, seven male nurses heavily restraining a 15 year old, 15 year old girl over and mm. over again, sometimes three, four times a day? Um, 
um, and it's so it's it's beyond it's it's beyond the imagination sometimes when you hear about these care concerns. Um, but all of it really, I mean, it to me it brought up the wider the systemic problem we have here in our oversight of um, privately privately managed mental health hospitals and and listeners will know we're constantly we're having CQC reports we CQC reports monthly weekly um mm. raising 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 their own concerns about the the care within these units and of course I mean the NHS um is um uh, the poor care exists equally within the NHS but we're seeing an increasing number and um the the point I was trying to make there seems to be a systemic issue here in our oversight and what happened, particularly one of these families, they were raising concerns. So they raised concerns to their local community CAMS team, which was run by the trust, their local authority, children's services, NHS England. Um, and somehow these concerns just slipped through the hole and were, were not escalated. Um, and and so it seems that there was there there is a, a massive lack of central oversight um, mm. and perhaps it is a general um indictment of our poor complaint system but mm. um that's, es- that's essentially there were so many warning signs about this place before the cqc report mm. um and i mean that's really what i think this story touches um um is as at the heart of the story mm. um, it's interesting rebecca that you you said that um it had a good rating um from the cqc and that's and it's now inadequate and that really wasn't that long ago. And it's, it's um, you know, it has the CQC changed how it, um, how it assesses these places or has it just declined incredibly rapidly over a short period of years? I think we've um, definitely seen a gear change from the CQC in their scrutiny of these uh, independent, specifically the independent uh, mental health, learning disability and patient units. Uh, I think we've definitely seen a gear change from the CQC in the last two years. They seem to be um, doing more unannounced visits um, uh, and um, shining more of a spotlight on this area. And perhaps, perhaps that is realising a realisation from themselves that there was a huge gap in their own oversight of these places and their own mm. inspection of these places. So, um, so for example, uh, one of the one of the young women I spoke to um, would say, what well, she was there when the CQC came in in 2019 in the Huntercombe unit, um, and she said they would have the unit cleaned, and they tell the children that you all have to be well behaved and um, and and quite essentially for when the CQC is there. Mm. Um, another one suggested slightly more worryingly that a lot of the children when in 2017 when she was there during the inspection were um, medicated mm. so we're half asleep when the CQC came in anyway. Gosh, yeah. um, I mean and that's a how, how would you spot care concerns if you aren't able to uh, well if you're not seeing it if you if, if you're seeing it at it's done up seeing a unit once it's been yeah. done up and cleaned and put on the show for but um but yeah they seem to have changed tax tact in that and come down coming down a lot stronger i would mm. say 
Do you think that um, when when inspecting an um, organisation like this, are there kind of specialist inspectors who know what to look for or kind of how, how, how does it work? Who would they send to, to look at um, a hospital like Huntercombe? They will be. They have their specialist, um, they'll have their specialist mental health inspectors. Mm. Um, so, so generally you'll have the inspectors will be responsible for that sector, that region. Uh, so mm. not, it's on, uh, well, this is, CKC could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, I understand that's the way it works. Mm. They do have the specialist inspectors. Um, but it doesn't mean it's, I mean, I guess if you're not uh, speaking to every patient or you are, as I said, you are seeing if if a show is put on for you, how, how would you spot poor care? Um, mm. Absolutely, and they have admitted themselves, and particularly with um, inpatient learning disability and autism um, autism unit units, they have the CQC have admitted themselves that they needed to um, improve the way they um, the way they inspect in terms of um, uh, recognizing um, recognizing poor care when you're not able to. So, for example, we're not able to if the patient isn't able to verbally communicate it. To yeah. You. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I wonder what else. Oh, yeah, Nick, you, you jumped Sorry, in. Sorry, I just wanted to ask Rebecca, you, when you talked about that sort of perceived lack of central oversight from the national bodies, did you get any response from them in relation to, to this case about how they might try and strengthen their oversight? Did they come back to you on that at all? Um, no, in, 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 <laughs> in a sense, uh, essentially, no. Uh, the response was the way it's supposed to work. So. Uh, that was the response from NHS England. The way it's supposed to work is uh, concerns are meant to be escalated up the line. Um, evidently, in these cases, it it wasn't, and I would say often isn't. Um, uh, but I mean, um, and this obviously this doesn't all fall at the seat of, of NHS England, but they're the commissioner. These these are specialist units, tier four CAMs. So you'd expect your case managers to have a tough scrutiny over the quality of care within mm. the units um, and the uh, over the uh, the care of the children that they're placing in these in these units um, as much as you'd expect a local commissioner to do it if it was a general mental health ward. Mm. Um, and what's happening now Rebecca? So is the hospital still running as usual? What's happening um, to the family's concerns? Are they being taken further? Well, I do hope so. Uh, the the um, CQC uh, just after our story, the day after actually, they um, published um, a, an enforcement action um, uh, that they'd handed to the to the provider. So limiting, essentially limiting their admissions. So to admit any new patients, they have to get written permission to do so. Um, and I mean. Well, you'd hope, uh, although we've had examples of this, you'd hope that um, there wouldn't be have to be a case to place a child in a unit that's been heavily um, criticised and rated inadequate, but we're so short of um, CAMS tier four beds, who knows if that um, a request will be made. Um, but they haven't closed the unit. How how big is the um, provider in terms of, you know, what, what sort of market share have they got? I've heard Huntercombe, they've got quite a few different hospitals, haven't they? Are they one of the main providers? Um, so they've got quite a few hospitals. They're not um, one of the major providers like Signet or the Priory Group. They, 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 those two largely have the market share. Um, mm. 
but they they are bigger they they've gotten smaller um now i think they only have two cams services um, i want to say but that i could be wrong about that mm. Mm. interesting and, and um rebecca just finally on that um have you heard kind of any significant response from this from nhs england to Huntercombe directly, no. Um, I, I do wonder if NHS England are trying to take a tougher stance on the independent hospitals more generally. Um, listeners may have seen a story we did a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, NHS England sent a letter to Signet Healthcare saying mm. it wouldn't tolerate any uh, more repeated failures. Um, uh, I mean, <laughs> there's an argument there that there have been repeated failures over years but um that this letter was sent and to be honest it was quite surprising i, d I haven't myself seen a letter like like that at least recently it, it might have just it may have just not reached reach a public domain um but uh yeah that, that was quite a quite a strong letter so but essentially um with the movement towards provider collaboratives mm -hmm. uh quality and oversight is probably going to be it's it's most likely going to be handed towards to those private provider collaboratives anyway, because they'll be taking over Specom services. Would you just be able to recap what provider collaborative is, if it's feasible in just a few sentences? It would just be helpful, kind of how will that change how um, care is provided? Yes, sorry, I have my uh, NHS speak there. Oh. <laughs> um, the provider collaborative, so they are groups of uh, mental health providers. And mm. Um, who are going to be um, delegated the budgets for specialised commissioning in a sense in a sense so <clears throat> it's split out into CAMS, secure eating and eating disorder so these groups of providers will be handed the budget one will be a lead provider which technically has uh, which technically um, holds 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 the money but they essentially they will be responsible for commissioning those services and with that will be the responsibility to um, for quality oversight and management so they'll be responsible for in essentially ensuring um, that they're looking into the quality of these independent sector units the independent sector will be part of the provider collaboratives anyway as well mm. thanks rebecca um and I think now, as promised, um, we are going to focus um, on a specific bit of the country. And Nick, you've been um, looking at, again, you've been looking at um, autism care for children in Devon um, in your kind of recently launched um, West Country newsletter for HSJ. Um, it'd be interesting to hear, um, well, when, when, when was this issue first on your radar? Thanks, Annabelle. Yeah, so I started to write about this back in August 2019. And the reason I thought it was interesting was because uh, at that time in Devon, there were a lot of children um, on the waiting list for an autism assessment. There were about 1,800 children at the time. And because it was, that was such a high number, the Devon CCG tried to um, procure new uh, providers of autism assessment services to try and move through the backlog quicker. Um, and at the time I wrote about this, uh, this high number and the fact that the, the average wait for an assessment was um, something like, I think, 69 weeks. So it was more than a year. Uh, and the recommended um, wait is no more than 13 weeks. So clearly the, the CCG was breaching that by quite a significant amount. 
Um, and at the time, the CCG said they had these plans in place, including the, the procurement of new providers and some extra funding to try and tackle the backlog. So I thought recently I would check back on, check back in with them to find out how that had all gone um, a year and a half later. Um, and it turns out that, unfortunately, the number of children in Devon waiting for an assessment now has risen to about 2,800. So it's gone from 1,800 to 2,800. And the average wait has gone from 69 weeks to 81 weeks. So things have got uh, much worse instead of getting better. Um, clearly, the pandemic has undoubtedly had a very big impact on the, the ability of the providers to um, to carry out these assessments but even so it's still very very high numbers of children who are you know not being um, assessed in time uh, with the recommended uh, timelines and the the weights are just horrendous really so um, it was disappointing to find out that you know instead of any progress being made that things have actually got got much worse. Did they did they blame any of it on the pandemic? They said the pandemic was absolutely a factor. Um, I don't think they sort of they don't tend to blame specifically, but they said the pandemic, yes, was a factor. Um, they said I think there were some workforce challenges as well. Um, they said that they had procured two new providers from uh, last August when I wrote last the story, August 2019, but that still hasn't sort of helped enough. Um, so there are there are different reasons and the pandemic is probably the biggest one um, but of course that's scant consolation to children and their families who are waiting for an assessment. Absolutely I wonder do you have an idea of how this compares to other counties in the same in the same region so maybe Cornwall or Somerset? Yeah so I did ask um, the CCGs in in the West Country uh, how they were all doing on this and I did get a few responses. Um, so Devon does have seem to have the worst sort of uh, numbers but Cornwall was also quite troubling. So in Cornwall they said um, as of May this this year there are 800 children um, waiting for an autism assessment uh, and the average wait in the last 18 months has actually been more than two years uh, up until quite recently when they've now said that they um the average wait is 59 weeks so about a year and two two months mm. so clearly you know in the last two years there's been hugely long waits um in cornwall for assessments a slightly lower number of of children um on the list but then at the same mm. time devon is a, a much more populous county than, than cornwall yeah. so Perhaps proportionately, it might be about sort of roughly the same situation. Um, and then in Somerset, I also got some figures from them, and they, the picture was better there. There were 200 children uh, on a on a waiting list, and the average wait was 18 weeks. So again, the the recommended wait is 13 weeks, and Somerset were at 18. So that seemed like a a much better performance, and it sort of emphasises what. Um, a policy lead at the uh, National Autistic Society um, said to me when I was researching the story that it just seems to be a complete postcode lottery where you are in England as to how long you have to wait for an autism assessment mm -hmm. and clearly you know it, it's crazy really that in Devon you know you might live in Exeter which is quite close to Somerset and wait yeah. you know 
almost two years for a for an assessment whereas if you live just over the border in Somerset you might be lucky enough to get an assessment within you know 16 to 20 weeks so mm. um it mm. does seem like it's a very um troubled service not just in Devon but across the country yeah maybe Rebecca can speak to this a bit but is it is there a national problem with um kind of long waits for autism care in um the English NHS oh without a doubt uh, I, I obviously can pedal, give you the figures nationally now because the data that is published is, isn't very good and massively undercounts the weights. But um, without a doubt, auto, uh, uh, weights for autism assessments are a big problem in, I would say, most areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, and have been for years. Um, so I mean, as I mean, as much as uh, COVID will have been a factor in um in, in for example in Devon not being able to um get get on top of its problem uh it's this is a problem that existed long before the pandemic mm. and it's, it's interesting as well it um, just to sort of harks back to a bit about what Rebecca was talking about um NHS versus private privately uh, provided care and the interesting thing about this particular story in Devon is that for the sort of last well for the I think between 2013 and 2019 autism assessment services were were carried out by Virgin Care under Mm. a a large contract for children's services that they won and at the time when they won that there was a lot of controversy because I think it was one of their first big contracts won and there was a lot of you know local opposition um, from people who were sad to see that contract go to the private sector Mm. Um, and clearly you know the the number of children on the waiting list did rise while Virgin were providing the service. They said that was due to simply um, demand outstripping capacity. And so when the contract went back from Virgin to um, the consortium of NHS trusts in Devon back in 2019, I think there was a big hope that things were going to get a lot better now because the contract's gone back to the NHS and you know a lot of locals were, were quite happy with that. But clearly things have got worse under the NHS than they were under Virgin and yes of course Mm. the pandemic is a factor but nonetheless the the, the figures can't be ignored so it's sort of an interesting um, point to a lot of people's perceptions that it's better that the NHS provides these services than the private sector but I think Mm. as this case shows it's not as clear-cut as as saying that they're um, yeah, as Rebecca said, there's poor care in the NHS as well. Mm. I wonder what the biggest kind of factors are in in these kind of huge backlogs, specifically for autism care. Is it? I mean, I imagine it's multifaceted around kind of funding, workforce as well. I imagine um, might be a problem. Um, like just his, historically, more more patient, more demand than ability to kind of cope with. I don't know. Um, I don't know I, what you think. Nick. I think um, a lot of it seems to be funding because when I asked Devon and Cornwall CCGs what they were doing about their backlogs, um, Devon said they were, they've committed now quite a lot of money. They haven't said how much, but they have committed a lot of money to fund an extra 3,000 or so assessments. Um, So they hope to clear the backlog by November. So in a way, it sort of sounds like, well, we're just going to pay for more assessments to to happen and then that will move through the backlog faster. So money clearly is a big issue. Cornwall as well said they were I think investing about 150,000 mm. <laughs> excuse me um, in, into their service um, and yeah it's like I think they do a mixture of things with that money they um, hire in you know sort of 
agency um, mm. staff to help with the, the, the workforce. There are things like improving the online support services and sort of booking systems and reminders to help make sure patients are actually, you know, reminded to turn up for their appointments and, you know, that all, all these little sorts of things, which, which also can make quite a big difference. But largely it does from what I can see, based on the responses I've had from CCG, it seems to be the money which is the main, um, the main sort of enabler to moving through mm -hmm. these backlogs quicker. As Rebecca said, in the past, perhaps there just wasn't much resource allocated for these types of services because they're not the most high profile or, you know, Absolutely. the most significant national. Yeah, and that's also Rebecca, yeah. Well, and, and I don't think, I mean, so autism um, featured in the long-term plan um, but autism and lenders really weren't given their own dedicated budget so although there is more focus of on on autism services nationally uh, there is there is still going to be the problem of budget and uh, funding obviously um, and we yet to see the autism strategy <laughs> national autism strategy when was that strategy expected to be published rebecca oh me on the spot there because sorry <laughs> um what i do know is that uh it is delayed mm -hmm. tbc okay uh, just to throw in one last bit actually annabelle um because i did get one last figure from the national autistic society when i asked them for the national context and they said um in terms of the number of children actually being seen within uh 13 weeks so three months they estimated from the sort of rather poor data that Rebecca mentioned is out there mm -hmm. they think that's only about 16 percent of all people on waiting lists all children mm -hmm. on waiting lists are being seen within three months so you know the, the need for that strategy seems blindingly obvious and hopefully it will be published soon with some money attached but mm -hmm. yeah it's clearly something that needs to be solved Absolutely. That iceberg metaphor we often use when we're talking about um, elective care backlogs, it seems pretty apt in this situation as well. Um, thank you both um, to kind of really interesting kind of in-depth in looks at mental health care um, in the NHS at the moment. Um, but we've come to the end of our time this week on the podcast. Um, you've been listening to the HSJ Health Check podcast. And just a reminder, we're available every week on the HSJ website and across all main podcast channels, now including Audible and Amazon Music. If you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and do get in touch if there's something you'd like to see us cover. Thanks for listening and we'll be back, we'll be back next week.